first hour, the words of a single book began to change his life. And at last, Miles Peterson felt the burning desire to know God. Inspired by the Word of God and equipped with unyielding faith, Miles pledged to fight evil in the name of God as Bible Man. Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching out for you and me. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Wow. <laughs> Ooh, hey, would you do us a favor? If there's some uh, room in the rows, could you kind of like scooch in so we create some space on the end as people are coming in? They kind of need some more spots for people to sit down. That would be fantastic. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in a series right now called God Talk. We're talking about how to communicate with one another, what that looks like when we talk about God. Uh, if you haven't caught the last few weeks, I highly recommend you go back to lakesidechurch.com. You can ch- uh, catch up on all the messages there, video and podcasts. Speaking of podcasts, uh, next or this upcoming Saturday night, at 8 o'clock. We're meeting right here, and we are going to have like a panel Q&A discussion to kind of round out this series, and uh, we're going to live podcast that whole thing. So this is your moment of fame. You can be there. your 15 minutes this upcoming Saturday. It'll be fantastic. Um, today, we're going to start in a spot where we, uh, we, we say this. We assume this. Um, everyone's role in God Talk varies. And it not only varies because of our personality, because we're just all shaped different, because we we talk differently, we act and react differently, but the people that we're talking to about God have different personalities too. And, uh, And situations change. And so we always have to be aware of the situation that we're in, and the, and the temperature of our conversations uh, change, and context is super important to God talk, and invitation, like were we invited to talk about God or not? And so today we're starting by saying the roles, we all have a role, but those roles vary, and they vary throughout time. They change throughout time. God talk is always changing, and it needs to change because the world is changing. All right, so that's where we're starting today. Uh, one of the things that's been so freeing for me going through this series and going through these studies together and having these conversations is the idea that God is way more uh, concerned about our availability than he is our ability. Like you you don't have to have everything dialed in. You don't even have to know exactly what you're talking about. We're going to look at some of those stories in the Bible today. You you just need to be available. That's what God is really concerned with. Uh, Today we're going to start in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Uh, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. Uh, These guys are just getting started, and there's some amazing things happening there that he wants to address. The Apostle Paul uh, says this. Um, first of all, let, let's back up a little bit. The, the church in Corinth was, uh, it, Corinth was an important place. It was an important city. Poets, philosophers, artists were coming out of there. And it was 
uh, it was kind of par for the course that when you heard somebody speak who had a new idea, said something fascinating, you, you attached yourself to them. They became like your mentor. So if it was a philosopher that everybody loved, it was, it was common for you to say, oh man, I follow this guy. But, but Paul sees this happening in the church and he says, oh no, 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 no. This is not going to happen on my watch. And so he, he interrupts the conversation. He says to the church of Corinth, he says, you guys, quit. This is my paraphrase. Stop. Quit saying that I'm of Paul or I am of Apollos or I am of Cephas. No, God is the one that we're focusing on here. And he says, as a matter of fact, down in verse 17 of the first chapter, he says, God didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And he says earlier than that, I'm glad that I didn't even baptize many of you, because if I did that, it would have given you an occasion to say, yeah, Paul is really my guy. High high five. I'm on Paul's team. He says, no, it's about the gospel. God sent me to preach the gospel, this story, this good news, these good headlines. That's what he's inviting us into. And then he goes on to say, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul is saying, look, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And by the way, I didn't even come to you with fancy talk. I didn't come to you with innovative ideas and skills that had been super polished. Because what's really important to Paul is not this poise and this charisma that sometimes is attached to wisdom. He's not worried about that at all. What's really important is honesty and sincerity and he goes on to say in this letter, he says, you know what, there, there are some people who have, we, these are the rules we play. Some people plant God talk, some people water along the way, but ultimately it's God who does the growing. We don't make anything grow. We can stare at the plant as long as we want, but we don't make it grow. God is the one who makes it grow. So honesty, integrity, sincerity, what the Greeks would have called ethos. Ethos is, um, is this idea that I believe what that person is saying because when they speak, I can really tell that they believe what they're saying. Isn't that an interesting concept? And so Paul is saying, that's what I, I want you to look at me and, and know that deep down at the core of who I am, I believe in Jesus. I believe in this gospel. Now, don't you and I want to hang around people who are honest and sincere? I mean, don't we like those people? Those are the people that we go, I want to be like that person. They show all their scars. They tell stories about where they've come from and how they've been rescued and how things are changing. You get the backlot tour of their lives. They, they play well with other people. They're, they're not putting on airs. Like, those are the stories that we read about in the Bible, too, where, where they're, they're being held up and God is saying, look at this. Live your life like this. And then when we see those things not happening... That's obvious to us. We go, well, I don't want to be like that. And so this is where Paul is starting, where we're going to start today. We're going to look at a few different examples of God talk in the Bible. And this is, by the way, not a prescription. These are not ideas that you and I should follow. Uh, they're just the way that God talk happens. And we're going, to, we're going to make some observations. Number one is in Acts chapter 2. 
And uh, this God talk that happens here, we're going to call direct address. Direct address is what I'm doing and you're listening to right now. I'm speaking, you're listening. You came in here and for 35 minutes, I'm going to yakety yak, yak, yak. That is direct address. Now, some people are introduced to God that way. And that happens in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the church is just getting started. The disciples of Jesus are staying in Jerusalem like he told them because he said something magical is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to give you power, and then you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be able to take this story and tell it to the world like you never even imagined. And so they're staying there, and they're waiting, and the Holy Spirit does come. And then they go out, and they start to talk to the people, and the people want to hear what they have to say. And people are gathered around and they're from all different places and they have different dialects, different languages. And the disciples are speaking and everything that they say is understood by everybody, no matter what language they spoke. And it's blowing minds because God is doing something that they they have never seen before. Now, we know that some people in the story uh, didn't exactly hear what was going on because some of them thought that that Peter and, and the disciples were babbling. And they said, you guys are drunk. This is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. And he says, no, you guys, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Like, what kind of a party do you think we've been at? No, these guys, no, God is doing something absolutely amazing here. And then he goes and he unpacks this story. He's got their ear and he says, uh, you know, some things happened to Jesus. Uh, He was killed. He died. He rose again. And now you all have the opportunity to reorient and reorganize your lives to follow this Jesus. And as he's giving this direct address, it says that some followed. Not everybody, but some, and a lot of them, as a matter of fact, 3,000 souls, it says, that day uh, did what the Bible calls repenting or turning and reorienting themselves towards Jesus. Now, that's one of the ways that we see God talk happen in Scripture, and maybe that happened for you. Maybe that's how you were introduced to God, Uh, but it doesn't always happen like that. We're going to look at some other uh, ways that it happens. There's intellectual approaches. Uh, We see this in Acts 17, a story that we've talked about a few times during this series where Paul is in the city of Athens. He's at a place called the Areopagus, often called uh, Mars Hill, and he's meeting with the smarty pants of the generation. They all gathered on this rock, on this hill, and they would talk about new ideas. The lawyers and the philosophers and the poets and the artists, they would all gather here. This is a place where they openly debated about life. And Paul says in Acts uh, chapter 17, he goes on, uh, he talks about this uh, walking through the city and he sees all of these statues that are uh, dedicated to these gods and he sees a statue that's dedicated to an unknown God and he starts to tell them about this unknown God. And he unpacks this beautiful story about Jesus and it says there that some sneered, like some didn't want to buy anything that he was saying, but other people said, we want to hear more. Now, this is, this is important for us, I think. When he's talking about this unknown God and he unpacks this story, he says this in 17, uh, chapter 17 of Acts, verse 30. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, this unknown God thing. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. 
Now, this is what we cannot miss in this passage. When he talks about ignorance, he's not slapping them across the face. He's not saying, you idiots. He's not saying, how have you not got this before? All the way through this story, when he talks about this unknown God, and he talks about knowing, and he talks about ignorance, what he is saying to them is, now you know. So in the past, you didn't know. And that, that was okay. God says, that's cool. But now you know. And now that you know, you can't unknow. And he is appealing to their intellect and their intelligence. And he's saying, you guys are the smartest people of your generation. Now you know about this God. What are you going to do about it? That's an intellectual approach. Also in that same story, we see what we might call an empathetic approach. Because when Paul comes to this hill, the first thing that he says to everybody is, I see that you are all very religious people. He doesn't smack them upside the head. He doesn't start quoting the Old Testament to them. He doesn't say, how could you guys be so silly and have this all screwed up? He doesn't make them feel bad. He doesn't shame them. He says, you guys have got it going on. You're, you're trying to find out about God. You're trying to do the right thing. You're asking the right questions. And it's empathetic. He quotes some of their poets, which are like the rock stars of their day. And he says, it says in, in this passage, it says that some people sneered, but others didn't. Now, here's the important thing that we cannot miss about this, this empathetic approach. Paul was invited to this club meeting. He didn't storm his way in. He didn't make a scene. He didn't have a bullhorn. He wasn't carrying a picket sign. He wasn't throwing grenades. He didn't drive by with a bumper sticker that said, turn or burn. <laughs> he was invited into this. Interpersonal gatherings. This is another way that we see God talk happening in Scripture. In Matthew uh, chapter 9 uh, Jesus calls Matthew to be a follower of his. And you can read about this starting in verse 9. Matthew is also called Levi in some of the other books of the Bible. Uh, but we, we think that maybe he wrote the book of Matthew. And so that's why he calls himself Matthew. He liked to be called Matthew more than he liked to be called Levi. He had a couple names. I don't know. I think I'd go with Levi because, I mean, there's so many Johns in the world. I want to be Levi. I, I think it'd be fantastic. But the point is not that. Uh, Jesus went on from there. And he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. That's what Matthew did. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, here's, here's the fun thing about this. That wasn't, that wasn't uh, bizarre for that day for a rabbi to walk up to somebody and say, follow me. We read it in our culture and we go, well, that's weird. Like, what, what kind of magic incantation was Jesus? What, like, what spell was he casting to go up to somebody and just say, hmm, follow me? And then they got up and they, that's, that's not what's happening. Jesus is a rabbi. And if you are a, uh, if you are a Jewish, uh, a good Jewish boy, and you want to go into rabbi school, there's kind of three different levels of rabbi school. Eventually, if you keep going from level to level, you are going to have to find a rabbi to follow. And it was not uncommon common for a rabbi to say, follow me. But here's what's super uncommon. Matthew is not in rabbi school at this time. He's an outlier. He may even have flunked out. 
Some of the other disciples may have too, because see, if you didn't make it through the school, then you went back and you did what your dad did for a living. Like maybe you became a fisherman. Sound familiar? Maybe you became a carpenter. You worked with your hands. You, you, you learned a trade. So Matthew's an outlier, and Jesus says, follow me. That's a mind blower. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. By the way, when anybody's having dinner with anybody in the Bible, it means that the message is we're on the same page. We're all cool. I love you. You love me. We've got something in common. We can talk. Well, this makes the religious leaders furious When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, man. Jesus loved a good party. Jesus was always partying with people. And the religious people did not like it. Now, here's the important thing, I think, in this, in this passage. But in God's economy, partying is assumed. It's what we do. We spend time with people. Now, oftentimes, you'll hear this passage quoted and people talking about this sick needing the doctor and the people who are well not needing a doctor. But there's something else happening here. There's, there's some words that we can overlook if we're not careful here. Jesus said, I desire mercy over sacrifice. And he told the religious leaders, you guys go and you think about that for a minute. Well, what does that mean? For religious people, sacrifice is easy. I can give things away. Sure, what do you need? I've got too much in my closet. I can give furniture away. I can give money away. I can give food away. I can do that. It makes me feel good about myself. But the tough thing is mercy. Because mercy requires me to get my hands dirty. Mercy requires me to see people as human beings and to come alongside them and sit with them and hear their story and look them straight in the eye and hear their plight and listen to their pain and give them a shoulder to cry on. That's what mercy is. So Jesus is saying that to the religious leaders. He's saying that to all of us. And the other thing that I think he is not so subtly saying about the sick and the well here is he's saying to these religious people, he's saying, if you pretend to be well, your symptoms do not go away. You cannot hide. I think that's a beautiful thing. Other approaches that we see we might find in John chapter 9, the storyteller approach, which I love this story. Here's a guy who's blind. Jesus cures him of his blindness. He gives him his sight back. And then this guy's going through the town and people see him. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's the blind guy. Like, hold on a second. Aren't you the guy who who can't see? And he goes, yep. But, and he does does a little jig. And they go, wait a second. I I made the jig part up. And, and then they say, wait a second. Like, tell us your story. Wait, like, what happened? Uh, what sins did you lay down? Like, how, are you following this new guy? Like, what did he say to you? What were the magic words? And he goes, listen, all I know is I was blind and now I see. And he tells that story again and again. They go to his parents and they say, tell us the story, exactly what happened. They go, Don't, go talk to him. Because all we know is he was blind, but now he sees. Oh, man. 
That is such a great lowest common denominator for you and I. We don't, we don't have to know all the ins and outs of everything and have the, the, the secrets to the mysteries of the universe to be able to talk to God. Sometimes when I'm talking to people and they ask to explain what's happened to me and my life, all I've got is I was blind. But now I see. That's crazy. I love that. There's invitational and hospitable approaches In Luke chapter 14, there's this great story, uh, this parable where Jesus says there's this master, he's he's preparing this banquet, and he went to all of the pretty people, and he said, guys, come on, come to this party. No one comes. So he tells his his, uh, servants in the house, what I want you to do is I want you to go and invite everybody. I want you to go to the streets and the alleys and the country roads. I want you to go absolutely everywhere. I want you to go to the crack houses and the meth labs and I want you to go to the tenderloin and I want you to spend time that you in places you don't want to spend time and I want you to invite people to this party. Now this is this is awesome. Because for you and I what this teaches us is number one, uh, we don't control outcomes of people coming to a party. We just do the invitation because not everybody came to the party in this scenario. It also tells us that we don't control the boundaries. God says, go everywhere. Oh, man. There's a story with this woman at, at, at a well in John chapter 4. We've talked a little bit about this story through this series, but bottom line, after this great conversation with this woman and telling this woman, and Jesus kind of sees through her and tells her a bunch of stuff that's going on inside of her heart, she runs away and she tells everybody in the town, come and meet somebody who has told me everything I've ever done. Now, they weren't pretty details. Like, there was a lot of junk going on. So she wasn't bragging about that. What she was saying to everyone is, somebody knows me. And you and I all want to be known. So this invitational, hospitable approach is just a beautiful thing that we see time and time again. Take it one step further. Bleeding for people is a big deal. In Matthew chapter 5, and, and this, uh, this hit me hard this week, if I'm honest. Jesus is talking about loving people that are unlovely. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. And Jesus is always doing this. He's always saying, you've heard it said, but I say. He does this with adultery. He said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, newsflash, if you look at somebody with lust in your heart, you've kind of already committed adultery in your heart. Mind blown. He's always doing that. He's saying, You've heard this, but now I say this. So they knew about loving people that are lovely, but loving the unlovely and the people that we think don't deserve it, that's a different deal. He goes on to say, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? I mean, how easy is it to love someone who loves you? I got a new puppy. 
My wife and I didn't talk about this, but from day one, he's been sleeping in our bed, and we're both okay with it. Like, we, we love the little guy, and he wakes me up every morning with kisses on my forehead. My big bald head just gets covered in, in kisses, and he just, he, he wants to go potty. I'm glad he tells me that, you know, and he, he wakes me up, and I love it. I roll over in bed, and it's like 5.30 in the morning, like clockwork, and I'm just like, oh, I love the puppy. It's so easy. It's so easy to love him, because he gives me all that love. But Jesus says, duh, everyone does that. But what about the unlovely? He says, don't even the pagans do that? I mean, everybody does that. And then he says, so be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's take a poll. How are we doing on the perfection thing? You guys doing all right? I mean, I'm brushing up close to it every now and then. No, he's not saying be perfect as in have your life in order. He's saying that God's love is perfect. It's, it's complete. It's mature. It's whole. And so when you look at the unlovely and people that you want to punch in the neck, oh, don't tell me you don't have them. He's saying, love them with the last that you have inside of you. Oh, man. That's something else. Including and inviting others is another approach to God talk in Scripture. Um, And this means in the face of fear and doubt and uncertainty. In Acts chapter 9, we read this story about the Apostle Paul, who used to be Saul. He used to murder Jesus' followers. He was a terrorist. And now, all of a sudden, he becomes a Jesus follower. Now, somebody's a terrorist, and then they say, now I follow Jesus. And they come into this place, and they say, hey, gang, I want to get into a grow group or be part of like a mid-sized group with you. Like, what are we going to do? I think our natural reaction would be not so fast. Terrorist. (laughs) Well, that's what's happening back there. Like, it's understandable, right? But there's this guy, Barnabas, and he steps in and he says, hey, church, hey, Jesus followers, isn't this what it's all about? I mean, don't we believe in a gospel, in good news that absolutely turns lives around? Can't absolutely wrecked people have an about face and and reorient themselves towards Jesus? He goes, I'm sticking with him. Now, I need people like Barnabas in my life. You need people like Barnabas in your life. And somebody else needs you to be a Barnabas in their life. Including and inviting others in the face of fear and doubt and uncertainty is a great backdrop for God talk. All right. So what do all these things have in common We could tell stories all day. There's more approaches. And like we said, they're not prescriptive. What do they all have in common? Well, I think they have a few assumptions and there's a few questions that kind of run through here. There's a stream of thought that goes through all of these approaches. And I think there's some questions that we can ask ourselves when it comes to God talk. Number one, first question is this. What is happening around me? 
In other words, what is God doing and how do I get on board with this? In 1 Chronicles 12, 32, uh, there's a list of people who were part of this army of King David. And it's really easy to miss, but one of my favorite little verses tucked in there, it says that there was a group of people called the men of Issachar. And they understood the times and they knew what to do. Oh man, I want to be one of those people. Jesus uh, says to, uh, to the religious people in, in the book of Luke in chapter 12, he says, you guys... You can look at the sky, and you can determine by looking at the sky if it's a good day to go sailing. But you don't see what's right in front of you. Pay attention. Now, how does this go bad when we're not paying attention? Well, in Matthew chapter 25, there's a story about people standing before God, and he says to them, look, I was in prison. I was hungry. I was thirsty, and you didn't do anything about it. And it says the people hearing this say, what? What? How did we miss that? When were you in prison? When were you hungry and thirsty? And God says, you know what? When you didn't do it for the least of these, you did it to me. In other words, you weren't paying attention. It was happening all around you. All you had to do is reach out to the person right next to you who was feeling this, You could have done something, but you didn't. And when you didn't, I felt it. Oh, man. So how do we do that? How do we dig deeper? I think one of the ways is we we pay attention to the symbols that are around us. The things that we see flying on flags and bumper stickers and T-shirts and on lawn signs and, and people are wearing things on their skin like all of those things tell a story. They, they tell a story of, of pain and, and uh, feeling disenfranchised and, and the need uh, to belong and they're, they're a cry for help. We need to pay attention to the symbols around us. I think another question that is underlying all of those stories that we heard in Scripture are, um, where are we hanging out? Like who are we eating with? Who are we spending our time with? But I'm afraid that one of the biggest metaphors for you and I in the place that we live when it comes to hanging out with people is this. Here's the biggest metaphor. It's coming. Hanging out with people is a big deal to Jesus. Doing life, eating with people, spending time with them. Food is a big deal in the Bible. I blame this on the Bible, every bit of it. One of my favorite passages is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, speaking of food. It says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, flat broke, you come, buy, and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. And why would you spend on money on that which is not bread or your labor on that that doesn't satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what's good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. The King James Version says, delight yourself in fatness. 
<laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> I love that. Eating with people is a big deal. Spending time with people. Ask yourself this question. What am I posting? Like we speak a new language now in social media. It's a whole new language. A language that was not around when these words were written. I think God wants us to pay attention to that language. All you have to do is read through the book of Psalms and spend some time in the book of Proverbs and learn a lot about wisdom (laughs) through what we say and what we don't say. Book of James says in chapter 3, it says that our tongues are like a spark that sets a forest ablaze. We have to be careful with what we say. So this reminds me of not too long ago, I posted this video, this beautiful video with people dancing and singing and enjoying life. It was a Justin Timberlake song. And I I posted it out there and I said, you guys, what does this say about life? And I'm looking for answers like uh, people want joy and people want to belong and people want to dance and people want to find happiness and people want to find camaraderie. And I'll be darned if people did not jump on that and say, it says that our world is full of sin and it says that things happen in the dark that shouldn't happen. And it said, I thought, no, shh. Hold on a second. Why is that, why is that our first thought? Why are, why are we not listening to the cries all around us? Proverbs 18.6 says, The lips of fools bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. Sometimes... It feels like that. So don't be that guy. Then I think we can ask this finally. What are we listening to? And I'm talking about music first and foremost, but, but not really just music. But music, the songs of our culture, the music that happens around us, it is the loudest prayer of our culture. If you want to know where people are, if you want to know what people are thinking, the loudest prayers are the popular music of our culture. So we would be wise to listen to those prayers, to be able to know how to talk about God. Music is a big deal to God. There's this uh, story in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you haven't read these stories, uh, they're kids' stories, but not really. They're adult stories. I've read them multiple times, read them to my children. And there's this uh, one book in this series by C.S. Lewis called The Magician's Nephew. And, and the hero of the story is Aslan, this, this lion. And, and he represents Jesus in these stories. And Aslan shows up on the scene, and, and people get to watch on as Aslan, in this book, sings creation into being like and you get this picture of creation starting with a song and everybody that was watching on in the story they said we it was it was hard to say what the melody was it, it, it almost wasn't like a note it was like some deep guttural like it just kind of was this underlying tone and it was beautiful and it was compelling i love that i don't know if you've heard of string theory before I don't know. Do we have any scientists in the room? I am not a scientist, so I'm going to say about this much. 
And once I get past that, I feel and sound really stupid. But this is, this is string theory for you. String theory says, and it's a theory of everything. It says that at the core of who we are and at the core of the universe, everywhere, there are these, uh, it's all made up of these tiny strings that vibrate and make sound. So all matter, all people, all space, all time is made up of these strings. In other words, creation is constantly making music. At the core of who we are is music. Oh man, that's beautiful. So what does that mean for us when we talk about God? I'm going to have my friend Josh Bowen come up here because he's going to, he's going to help me out with this one. Um, have you heard of common tone? Do you know what a common tone is? A common tone is a note that is consistent in a group of different chords. So we're going to play three chords today. We're going to play a G, a C, and a D, all in the same key, by the way. If you're not a musician, it's okay. Hang with me. We'll all get this. And we are going to together sing a common tone. Now, you've been singing all morning, so this should be easy. The only thing now is that everybody's going to hear you around you. So here we go. All right. So, Josh, go ahead and play a G chord. Okay. So here's the common tone here is, mm, can you do that with me? Mm, you sound beautiful. Go to the C chord. Mm, just keep that note right there. See, we didn't even change it, and it still works there. And now I sound like a monk. And now go to the D chord, and I still sing this, and you're doing, hmm. And then we come back to the G, Give yourself a big round of applause. Thanks. That's common tone. And I think what creation is screaming and what our culture is screaming and what God wants us to pay attention to, if we're going to even talk like we have any idea what it means to talk about God, the place that we need to start is with a common tone. We need to see people as human, and we need to say we have something in common. You're a G, you're a C, you're a D. But we've got... mm, That was perfectly on pitch, by the way, just so you know. That's super important. God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for teaching us through our experience. Thank you for teaching us through creation that sings. Help us find the common tone. Help us remember to see people as human beings and, and not projects. Help us to engage in meaningful conversation with people where we look them in the eye and we hold their hand and we, we have a meal with them and say we're in this together. I love how your word says it's by grace that we're saved or that we're rescued. It, it's not anything we do because we'd be super proud of ourselves if it was something that we do. But no, it's a gift from you. 
Thank you for the gift that you've given us and offered to us and offer everyone in this room to be part of something very beautiful and meaningful. Thank you for offering us rescue. We love you. Amen.